Welcome back to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com, a podcast designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, singer and songwriter, Sandra McCracken, and we get a chance to talk to Sandra about her new song, I Will Sing, and the album that will be coming up, as well as how worship is so integral to our growth as disciples of Christ. Sandra, how are you doing today? Hey, it's so good to be with you, Oliver, across the miles. I'm doing well. Thank you. Some of you might be tuning in via video today. Sandra is situated in a very pleasant looking backyard right now. (laughs) You can hear the birds chirping. It sounds like a great place to sit and relax and have a cup of coffee. Is that right? It is, yes. The house is a little crazy with everybody home. And as many of you all are in that same situation, it's been a time of getting creative and trying to find a quiet spot. Every parent who's listening to this who has children under the age of 10 can relate and understand completely with you. I I do. I resonate with you completely. So, Sandra, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are so excited to have you on. Our church, uh, Calvary, actually hosted a worship gathering. We were just talking about that a few minutes ago that featured you a couple years back. We were doing a sermon series on the book of Psalms called Soul Sync. And as we were praying and planning for that fall series, our worship director suggested having you come and lead a night of worship. And do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It's good. I mean, I'm originally from St. Louis, so I love coming up there to feels like a neighboring city. We have been singing ever since you came the song that you've written, We Will Feast. We have really loved that song. You mm-hmm. uh, played that song for us. We're excited you're on the podcast today. You're a gifted songwriter and singer. And one of the things that I love about your work, Sandra, is that you take the Psalms and you do what we were supposed to do with them. You sing them and you teach us <laughs> how to sing them. And it's great. And uh, you just recently released a song. It's been playing on YouTube at my home as well as Spotify. The song is titled, I Will Sing. And it's part of a soon-to-be-released album, right? Patient Kingdom? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Another one from the Psalms. When is that album coming out? It comes out in October. I'm really thankful to kind of stay on schedule with what we had planned for that release date, even in the craziness of this year, but really, really thankful. So the title changed, the album title changed somewhere along the way. Patient Kingdom seemed like a fitting adjustment. Well, I'm really excited for that album to come out. I've loved the song, I Will Sing. And in a recent interview that you did with uh, thechristianbeat.org, you were explaining how you and Leslie Jordan based this song, I Will Sing, on Psalm 89. And I want to read something that you said, because I think it'll get us started for our conversation this morning, a conversation that's about discipleship and the value that worship music has Mm -hmm. in the process of our discipleship journey. And this is what you said. We chose a selection of verses and gave a new melody to the text, Psalm 89, using repetition and subtle yet joyful rhythms as an undercurrent. My hope, and this is what you said, is that the space between the words and every instrument played on this recording gives an opportunity to consider again the weight of God's faithfulness, end quote. And then you said, I love that you are designing music, Sandra, so that it creates space for spiritual formation to happen. Your music designed to form our inner worlds. And in this particular case, the song I Will Sing is designed to help us consider God's faithfulness in our life. The Mm -hmm. first words of your song, with my mouth, I will sing of your faithfulness. And I want to hear you just talk a little bit about that. You know, what kind of things 
do you, Sandra, consider when you're thinking about God's faithfulness in your life? And how do you begin thinking about God's faithfulness in your journey? Where's the starting points for you? Well, thank you for reflecting all that back. I think sometimes it's hard to have the perspective in the moment of, of what you're doing. And so in whatever your vocation is, whatever your work is, whatever you're called to do with your days, there is a sense that God's faithfulness is ever present in that. And paying attention to it is one of the disciplines of grace. It's like just to take a deep breath in the morning when you first wake up before you check your phone and maybe put a pen to paper in reflection or prayer. I mean, things like that are, are kind of I guess when you're when you're asking the question of how do we meditate on God's faithfulness, it starts with that like first breath of the morning. And I will say like that is so hard to do. It's hard to do with the noise. And, you know, you would think that's just the obvious thing is like, oh, we know God is with us. And <laughs> if yeah. you are someone who's walked with him for two weeks or for 20 years, I mean, there is a little book, uh, I think it's Brother Lawrence, the Practicing the Presence of God. And I remember the title more than anything about that book is just practicing the presence of God being just one of the rhythms of our lives that takes intentionality. So as a songwriter, that would be, for me, like the way that it shows up. But I think it would apply no matter what your work is, is that just realizing that God's presence is in the space between. It's in those like pauses that we become aware that he is with us. And whether that's sitting in traffic or whether that is washing your hands in between two doctor's visits or what, you know, like whatever your work is, there's like, there's a rhythm of grace that's built into it. I love that you point out, you wake up in the morning and you realize you're breathing and that that breath is from God. Like that is one of the ways we can remember God's faithfulness is by being conscious of the fact that I'm alive right now, and the mm. breath inside of me that I'm waking up with is a gift. Mm. And the next one is is a gift. And and so one of the ways we realize and recognize God's faithfulness is just by realizing that we're alive today because of His grace. And it's hard to do that, right? Because I, I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning and I'm anxious, and I got you know X, Y, yeah. and Z, and then also A on the next list that I have to start <laughs> taking care of. Yes. I mean, do you feel that way, or am I the only yes. one? Yes, no, it's like stuff that was left over from yesterday that gets moved <laughs> yeah. into today, and then the stuff that I haven't even gotten to—that's probably the yeah. most important stuff. Yeah, um, and then, then someone is. needs breakfast, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, uh, oh, you can't get breakfast yourself yet. Okay, that's I can help. It's hard to remember mm-hmm. God's faithfulness in those moments, isn't it? So you asked the question about how that faithfulness plays out in music. I would just give a little sidebar that I've always loved songs with a lot of words. I loved narrative songs about, you know, either hymns as a little girl. I used to love to sit with a hymnal. And I also loved music that came out of musicals, like really based in story. So I've always gravitated toward more things that are wordier. And I would say in recent years, it's been a practice to try to keep more space between the lines. So those first few lines of the song, like, with my mouth, I will tell of your faithfulness. There's so much space, almost to the point of like slowing slowing you down to think like, okay, move on with it. Like, what are you saying? What are you trying to get across? And I think from working with the Psalms in the last few years, the Psalms have helped me to slow down that cadence to where to where I just try to take more breaths in between the lines. And I think it I think it's just part of a practice that I've needed to just say less and to meditate more, to listen more. And anyway, it probably comes out of a lot of different things, but I've enjoyed that in working on these new songs. And some of them have a lot of words, but 
on the whole, I think that that has been a, a trajectory that I've been aiming for. In a way, you are building into your music space for silence and solitude, even though there's an undercurrent of perhaps some tones and some strings mm-hmm. happening. It is space where no one's talking anymore except hopefully God. And I, like you said, to listen. And that's such a foundational component for our journey as disciples of Christ. We watch Jesus constantly find moments of intimacy with the Father by climbing mm-hmm. a mountain or getting off into the wilderness to be alone, to be in a space of quiet. Your song, in a way, by leaving those vacancies of words, it kind of creates a space for that, doesn't it? I love hearing you reflect on that with just Jesus rhythms. I've always been fascinated that he would continue to need to draw from the father, even though he's part of the Trinity, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a sense like, wow, that's really, <laughs> that's really instructive. And one of the things we did during that Psalm series, and it was strange for some of the members of our community was we actually built in long periods of silence into some of our services. In fact, we did one whole sermon in silence where the pastor got up and barely spoke any words, but there were large blocks of like 10 minutes, 12 minutes of silence because we wanted to remove our words, much like Mm. you're saying about Mm -hmm. your your songwriting. And there is something steadying about that, isn't there? Like it's grounding in a way to just allow the space. Well, at first it's like, I found it to be really uncomfortable because we're so used to filling all the space. And so at first you kind of have to reckon with, whatever's in that silence. So if I'm feeling uneasy or if I'm stressed, like you were saying, you wake up and you have, you know, X, Y, and Z that's still carrying over. I think in the silence, when you can kind of honor that silence, then the Lord speaks and everything can go quiet. Did you find that in the community, as you started practicing silence, that it was maybe even awkward at first and then you got better at it? You are exactly right. That is exactly how it felt. We got better, but it was always awkward. I think it was awkward for many people. It was always awkward. And yet at the same time, there was also a mysterious richness to it. Value was added in some way. So despite it being awkward, I mean, it's always awkward, right? I think I think it was awkward for Jesus to be in the wilderness for 40 days alone. And, and I think those are awkward moments. But there is beauty in that awkward moment. It's probably Mm -hmm. awkward to be on stage just playing some strings, Mm -hmm. you know, waiting Mm -hmm. for that next line. And you're thinking, we got to get on with it. We got to get on with it. But So it's awkward, right? But it's, there's something beautiful perhaps that's happening in the space. Yeah, that's so good. I, um, I think it's a journey for all of us as we're, as we're trying on these new things and, yeah, it's good to hear that reflection. We should, we should just put a we should just put a block of silence here. Like if our internet cuts <laughs> out, that's kind of a sign from God. It's like, hey, we just need some silence here. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Well, you know, it makes me think about there is a difference between gospel meditation and like in, in light of the scripture and just the idea of emptying your mind and sort of an Eastern meditation approach. I think it's different when we think about meditation on scripture because we're actually nourished by the, like the silence is not just for its own sake, but it's for the praise of God that comes into that space when we submit our hearts to him. So it, it's, I would want to make that distinction that it is very meaningful and it's not about emptying your mind. It's about quieting your spirit before God and the allowing him to speak in silence and bring things to the surface that only he can do by his spirit. That point is very important. In the space of the silent, pray the prayer of Abraham or uh, Samuel when he was a little boy. Here I am. Lord, here I am. Speak. And Mm. give the space to the Lord that exists before us 
for him to fill our minds from things from the Holy Spirit. And that might be things from Scripture that might be a calling laid upon our heart from the Lord, but it is something. It's substantial. Mm-hmm. So that's a great, great point. So I have a question for you, and it's been burning for me. Why Psalm 89 for this song? Like, I want to know how, how you, mm-hmm. Sandra, get to a place of like deciding, like, this is the psalm for the next song. Like, how, how does that happen? <laughs> Oh, I mean, my short answer would be, why not? I think there's this exploration and creativity when we come to the Psalms. That particular day, Leslie and I were reading some texts together, and a lot of times it'll come out of conversation, like songwriting, especially when with with another person will come out of songwriting and meaningful conversation. And she and I had also written the song Steadfast together, and that's from Psalm 133, and has similar themes. And so I think it was almost like a chapter two of that story for us is remembering God's faithfulness and both of us sharing that personally, the experiences of waiting on the Lord in times of uncertainty or during that season of our lives, they were like, both of us were kind of in a transition where we were like waiting for some things, some unanswered prayer that we didn't know how it was going to turn out. And so when in those times, I found it really helpful to go back to the places in scripture like Psalm 89 that I have it here in front of me. But like, I think it reminds me in the first part of the Psalm, I mean, how he is higher than all the things. So we put a lot of weight on if you're waiting for an answer and you put a lot of weight on whoever you think is going to give you that answer, and then you read a Psalm that basically says he is, his faithfulness is in the heavens, it is above. And I think it helps to kind of point us back to it. So on one hand, you could close your eyes, open the Psalms and pick anything to sing about and sing it in a new way. And for us, the resonance was around this Psalm because it pulled us out of our momentary circumstances and into God's eternal perspective that he is slow moving and patient and rich in mercy. And we would know the answer when it was time. So you kind of maybe just, I have this other question for you, maybe you've just answered a little bit, you know, your work has been so extensively rooted in the Psalms. And and I love that. Like you just said, you could open it up and pick anything out of it and it can speak to us, right? It's a timeless Mm -hmm. book. And actually, those psalms stretch over a millennia of characters in the Bible in terms of yeah. history and time. I mean, you got people from Moses all the way up through the time of Ezra writing and contributing psalms, which is a long period of time. So what did the moment look like or how did it happen for you that the Psalter, the psalms, began to become a foundation for your songwriting? It probably happened before I realized it. And I had the great gift of a mother who shared scripture with me when I was a little girl. And she had become a Christian just a few years before I was born, had started following Jesus. And so she had just like that kind of zeal and enthusiasm that I was just an overflow into my childhood because I'm I'm the youngest of five and I just soaked it up. So I remember from probably before I knew music, I knew these words of the Psalms and she would write them on little index cards. And so I guess I would say it was like already taking shape and that it was more foundational even than learning the notes of a scale. And so once music came into play and became the way by which I would move around in the world and make a living, those words were already there. And I I didn't know, realize how central it was to my creative process until I kind of looked back at it. And, you know, and I could see it was part of my devotional life. It was part of my prayer life to sit and sing from the hymnal and also from the Psalms. And it was richer than Bob Dylan lyrics. You know, it was like, this is why I love these other songs. And 
yet it's like, it points to like, you're saying this huge story of people that have walked before us in all the same ways and in all the same places. So we're not the first and we're not the last and we're not alone in that. So there's, I think there's a contextualization of the Psalms that has been really good for me in formation. And what's your mom's name? Betty. Betty McCracken. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, that's a good name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just. I feel like she could write a, she could write a cookbook. She could get a cookbook. Uh, You know what? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So she became a Christian just before you were born. And one of the things that you remember was her reading to you scripture and Psalter becomes to take its deep roots in your, in your life as a little girl, as a young woman, as you're growing up, that's pretty remarkable. You use the word steadfast and you talked about God's steadfastness. And and I've noticed that. And uh, Kelsey, who manages this podcast, we were talking, she pointed out, you know, you have a podcast, you talk about this a lot. And steadfastness is a very important topic for you as well as faithfulness. So I'm curious, why has that become such a prominent theme for you in the most recent season of life? Well, I guess the longer we live, the longer that I have lived, the more I have started to understand the perspective that my emotions are, they are big, they can sometimes feel like a flood. And so, you know, circumstances happen and then your emotions just like wash over it and And then you try to live out of those places of responding to whatever your day is going to bring, whatever surprises are in there. I think the steadfastness of God is like the steady line through that. You know, it's the undercurrent. It's the, you know, the movement of the river that is taking you to your destination, even if you feel like there's a storm or it's choppy or whatever is happening on the surface of the water. The steadfastness of God is so essential to kind of holding your space and keeping your sanity in the middle of whatever life brings (laughs) across your path, you know. And I would say like the Lord brings things across your path too. And I think all of it is the process by which we know Him and and understand his love for us in a more, in a more nuanced way, you know? So it's, it's kind of a hard question to answer, but I would say the steadfastness of God is essential. And the longer I live, the more I need it and rely upon it because I, I can't really be trusted. <laughs> you know, I can't trust myself with it otherwise. And yet he can be trusted and, you, and he's you true get, to his word. You've witnessed God in your life this constant, steady, calming force, this steady, steadfastness that God's will, God's desires will take place in your mm-hmm. life as well as the greater mm-hmm. cosmic story that he's writing. One of the things we really are passionate about on this podcast is trying to help ministry leaders think about ways that they can make disciples uh, as well as build communities that transform lives. It's kind of the mission of this podcast. So I guess I want to know, how would you finish this sentence? In discipleship, the Psalter does or can dot, dot, dot. How would you finish that? In the in the process of discipleship, the Psalms can... The Psalms can give us permission to open our hearts and our lives before God in conversation and in prayer and in transformation. Like by the Spirit, when we cry out, to the Lord using these words, something meaningful happens, something weighty and even glorious happens because the Psalms have such a range of emotional dynamics. Like there's just, you're not going to experience something that's not somewhere recorded in these Psalms, you know, as far as 
some emotional frame. And it's not just about our emotions, but the emotions are the cues that we know something's happening, pay attention, you know? So I think in discipleship, as we learn to pour out our hearts before the Lord, that that's mentioned in a lot of different places in the Psalms, like pour out your heart before him. And um, I think that's what they invite us to do. The Psalms invite us to do that. Maybe as a songwriter, that's one of the reasons I love it is because that's what I want for music is like to pour out. I want my own heart poured out and I want people that connect to the music to also feel permission to pour their hearts out. I guess it's only safe. I would say it's only safe to do that if we know that God is good and he's for us and that there's nothing he's going to be surprised by when we, you know, bring that confessional prayer to him. So I'm really thankful for the Psalms, if you can tell. (laughs) Well, I love how you said that in the very beginning. The first thing you said, the Psalms give us permission. The Psalms give us permission. What a great line. That is, it gives us permission to feel, to experience the array of emotions that we go through. It gives us permission to confess our sin. It gives us permission to praise. It gives us permission to have a terrible day and lament. It gives us permission mm-hmm. to suffer well. And it, and in many ways, it, it gives us permission with the words it offers. It's a manual in so many ways that we have. So I love how you framed that. Uh, the Psalms give us permission. So, you know, we're in an interesting time right now as a nation, as a globe, and we think about the pandemic that's happening and the stress and the sharp divides that have happened around that, mm-hmm. as well as um, the things that our country is facing right now with a lot of the uh, tensions mm-hmm. around ethnicity and race. What might the Psalms offer and give permission to people today in some of those things that we're facing? How might the Psalms give us permission to pray mm-hmm. in, uh, in some of these trying circumstances? That's a good question. I think it makes me think about how personality has, we bring, we bring our own set of experiences when we come to read the Psalms or when, especially when we read them together in a, in a corporate setting, um, which right now there are even limitations on that, but we are all bringing our personality. We are bringing our own stuff to the Psalms when we read them. I think they can be tremendously unifying when we realize that there's space, even sometimes within one, within the same Psalm, there's like a range of, it kind of takes you on a journey (laughs) and it may start at a place of doubt or uncertainty. And then it, and it may arrive at a place of resolution or it may start at a place of what feels like declaring God's goodness and then ends with darkness is my closest friend, (laughs) you know? So I think that, that, in these times where there is such division, the Psalms can be unifying. When we read them holistically and when we read them together, there can be formation for us as a people and as communities. When we sometimes don't feel safe to submit ourselves to each other, and sometimes for good reason, we all together can go to the Psalms and find that that is the place that God holds ultimate justice, that He holds the integrity of our sorrows and our griefs and our loss, because he has every right to, you know, because he has borne all that within himself. Mm. So there's, there's like, I may not be able to go to you if we're in conflict or I may not, you know, when there's like the heat of anger and it's maybe not the moment to do that, but we can all go to the Psalms together beside each other and trust that God will 
bring to light and bring full restoration of all the things that are not as they should be. Like we sort of have to trust the process of like, hey, we need to be reconciled. There's division among us. Let's go together to the Psalms and wait on the Lord and let him do the work. So many ways, if I'm understanding what you're saying, the Psalms serve almost as an orienting compass for all of us mm. in the various contexts that we're in. Some of us need to lament. Some of us need to be humbled and confess. Some of us in our place of praise, perhaps. In, in various circumstances, the Psalter becomes this orienting compass that we all, despite mm. what kind of conflict we might be in or differences we might have, we all can yeah. gather around it and be reoriented, hopefully, around the throne, around uh, around God and his nature and his kingdom. Mm. You know, I'm thinking about the small group leader right now that's listening to this episode. And they maybe are still wondering out there, like, well, you know, what does music have to do with my small group? Which is a good question, right? I mean, I think about a lot of small groups I've been a part of. You've probably been a part of some small groups. How does music play a role or how could it play a role? I'll be honest, we haven't played music very often, if at all, mm -hmm. in some of the small groups I've been in. But I wonder what you would say, perhaps, to someone like myself or other pastors listening or other small groups leaders that are listening. Mm -hmm. How could music play a role or worship play a role in, in our small group setting? And what would it maybe look like to incorporate worship in the gathering? Especially mm -hmm. in light of the fact that, like you said earlier, none of us are able to gather in person uh, or at least it's it's kind of rare right now across the country right. to be gathering in person. So I don't know what you'd want to speak into that. Yeah, that's a good question. We're in a time where even group singing can be kind of, um, has an element of danger or risk to it because yeah, right. <laughs> just, you know, we're sharing droplets and all that. But I think um, I will, you know, it, what comes to mind when you ask that is when we're in smaller groups, during this time, we've had some opportunity to gather in smaller groups, like either in homes or on a back porch and do a more contained kind of service together. And one of the things that I've loved so much in recent years is learning about chant singing, like so singing the Psalms in like metered form where you're just singing through the lines and you use, so it doesn't require a professional musician. It doesn't require an instrument. You can just sing and it's a little funny. And like I mentioned Bob Dylan before, it kind of sounds like Bob Dylan. Like this is, <laughs> this is like, it's kind of monotone in places. But if your group learned a few tunes out of the, um, out of the out of the chants that are available to us in the church tradition, they're so rich because you don't have to. There's just not a high bar of musicianship, and yet the the human element of singing is very much alive and well in the practice of chant singing. So you can find those online. You can research some of that. Another source would be like music of Tizé, which is coming out of France, and some of these songs were written like just more recently, but they're re repetitive tunes and they help us to meditate on, like there's one, um, I'm sure I shall see the goodness of the Lord and you sing them, you sing them repetition until it's just to kind of, as they say, like rather than like revving you up, they kind of help you to sink down in reflection on words. And so that kind of like simple singing is a very useful tool when we're in a time that's displaced from you know, like the orchestra is furloughed and we don't have options of large choirs and we have limitations, but there are some things that could emerge as we find some different ways of singing together. As you were talking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, chanting the Psalms. Yes. Why don't we do that? That's easy to do. And and even just listening perhaps to music. And by the way, I was as you were saying that, I was like, I kind of want to be on, on your back porch where you're leading the worship. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, to, to chant it out, to sing simple songs together, I think, what a value in that, of course. Mm -hmm. like, in a way, it's a return for us 
back to perhaps the times of the early church where we didn't have mega churches yeah. with full instrument bands and, and wonderful voices right. leading worship. And in many ways, this is a return to all of us becoming a little bit more participatory in our worship. So this has potential. If we're willing as small group leaders to take the risky move of saying, let's sing a song together, it'll be mm-hmm. weird. We haven't mm-hmm. done it before. But really, it's returning back to the roots of our large faith stream. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. It'll be weird. It'll be that that awkward moment, but there will be perhaps beauty in it. So I love that you're encouraging us to do that. I'd be curious, you know, what do you as a musician and a singer-songwriter yourself and you love Jesus, how do you see your work? How do you see your work as contributing to the process of making disciples around the world? Well, maybe connected to the last conversation or the last question you asked is it's not just us and it's not just the church that has a hard time with group singing. I think that culturally the folk music tradition where we actually sing in an organic way or in living rooms or around the table is just something we don't do very much anymore. And so more broadly, if in the last few years, I've thought a lot about what does it mean to sing together and just, which is kind of funny now because we're, (laughs) we're not really allowed to sing together in, in large groups. And that may be some time before we can And yet this tradition of sharing music that's not just highly produced with instruments and like up on a stage with lights and I mean, all that's great, but like kind of the Coldplay experience is a really magical experience. And yet there's like so much where we can experience music from the ground up, you know, and that's what I would really hope for as a musician is to make songs that would translate into a lot of different contexts and to put those out in the world so that people would connect to each other and and that the song could be a vehicle for for just like singing more, you know, together and with our people. I think one of the things you do as a musician, Sandra, and your work, and as I've encountered your work and listened to it in my home, I think you really do a great job of bringing us into the presence of the Lord mm-hmm. and and worshiping and praising. And I think one of the things I've, I've noticed, I think, in, in life is one of the things that can happen to us is our love toward God can sometimes erode. We're very good as a nation of loving our neighbor as ourselves. That's a big, mm-hmm. you know, big emphasis. And sometimes we focus on that at the at the expense of losing our love for the Lord. And your work kind of keeps that in front of us. And I think that's helpful because I think that's really important. God invites us to experience that. There's healing that happens in that. There's deep restoration that happens when we can follow the manual through a confession or through lament or through praise. So I want to just encourage you. Your work is, I think, doing a lot for people uh, in in America and our communities here, as well as I I think around the world. I think people are are tuning Mm -hmm. in and, and really embracing your work. Thank you so much. I'm Oliver Hersey, host of the Transforming Discipleship Podcast, a podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. We want to thank all the ministry leaders out there who have tuned into this episode. If you are finding this podcast to be helpful to you in your ministry, would you please share it with other ministry leaders and, and do us another favor? Would you rate us right after this episode on iTunes? We appreciate that. And as always, if you need more ideas or resources, we hope that you'll visit smallgroups.com in order to look at our books, our Bible studies, and other training tools that might be helpful to you as you continue building your small group ministry. You can also subscribe to get unlimited access to great materials that will help you to train leaders and also get ready for the next ministry season. Until next time, my friends, God bless.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.